Today's episode is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. The Master of Arts Strategic Leadership Concentration at Ozark is for those who are called to lead in a variety of Christian contexts, from churches to nonprofits to parachurch organizations. The Strategic Leadership Concentration partners with you to dive into God's Word to lead God's people across generations, across cultures, and into God's future. So what's next? Learn more and apply for free at occ.edu slash masters. What's up, Disciple Makers? You're listening to another episode of the Disciple Makers podcast by discipleship.org. So glad you're here with me today. My name is Dave Stovall, and I am your host, and I hope that you're ready for a fantastic episode. This is the fourth track session by Lionshare, given at our forum from last year, and it is just fantastic. I wrote down so many awesome things and quotes that they shared at their track session last year. We've got Dave Buring, he's founder and president of Lionshare, and we've got board members Heather Zimple and Sean Holland, also discipleship pastors and senior pastors at other churches as well. So this was a fantastic episode all about relating to the real world around us, how to politely disagree with one another and still love each other and still have relationship with each other. It's just awesome, awesome stuff. This stuff is very near and dear to my heart. I'm very passionate about it. So, all right, let's jump in on the fourth and final track session from Lionshare. Here we go. All right, so we're, we're glad that you're here. Um, this is the second year, maybe is it the third year, Heather? Second or third year we've done this topic. As, as events were unfolding in our own neighborhoods, in our nation, we begin to recognize that people were wrestling with how do we disciple our people in these topics. And so just so you know what we're going to do today, Heather and I are going to present for, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes. And what we wanted to share is principles with you. So we in Lionshire use the language a lot, the ways of God, which of course we see all over scripture. It uses that language. But what we mean by that is the ways of God is how God goes about doing something, okay? So like the character of God is the who, who he is. This is who he is. He's faithful, he's just, he's merciful, all those things. The ways of God is how God goes about doing things. So if you want to be great in his kingdom, you've got to become a servant, all right? Um, God opposes pride or the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. If you want to walk in wisdom, we need to walk in the... Fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom, all right? So it's it's knowing the ways of God. And so as whether we're walking with the church or we walk a lot with vocational leaders, our focus is discipling people around God's character so they reflect him more and around his ways so that as they do things, they're referencing God's ways. And so sometimes that means digging in just beyond quoting the Bible verse and being able to say, well, this is the facts. And it's how does God go about doing something? And you're going to find in our conversation today that as we deal with um, more hot topic kind of issues, to be aware that our, our saving point in this, our reference point, is the ways of God, how God goes about doing it. So we obviously can see in the world around us that, you know, the way things get blown up, we're not doing in the ways of God. It's destroying relationships. It's causing more division. It's not causing the ability to hear each other. Plus, we're on this social media and generational curve right now where there's not a lot of models on how to listen to each other. 
All right. Some of you know the singer Mandisa. She's a, a lady we've walked with for a lot of years and discipled. And she called one day because she got blowback on a social media post. Surprise. And, um, and I said to her, you know, you never win an argument on social media, so just don't even try. And she said, yeah, that's right. And so she said, okay, I won't respond. And, and, um, and I, I said, let me, let me ask you something. I said, you're, so she's, she hits her early 40s here. And I said, like, are you seeing a lot of models of how to walk things out relationally? She said, no, I'm just not seeing this. And I said, I know you won't remember this, but there was a guy by the name of Tip O'Neill. Some of you older ones remember Tip O'Neill. Tip O'Neill was the Speaker of the House, an Irish older man, and he was the Speaker of the House when, well, Ronnie Reagan was president, right? And so between the two of them, they, you know, they were kind of like a Trump and Pelosi in the sense of philosophically. However, this is in the 1980s. And what would happen is they would wrestle and wrangle and all that kind of, but at the end of the night, as the story goes, O'Neill would say to Reagan, so Ronnie, where are we going for steaks tonight? Because they had a relationship that, that won over everything. And telling Mandisa, she said, Dave, we don't have models of this. The only thing that I could show her, because it had just happened, is when, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. And it came out about her close relationship with Scalia and his family. Total opposite, polar opposites in beliefs. But they had a love for, I believe it was the theater, right? Love for the theater together and those kinds of, and so they would do those things as families. Not just the two, as families. She said, I didn't know that. I said, she said, we just don't have models. Well, see, because we're not walking in the ways of God, we often don't have models of what this looks like. And so as we talk about these things today, just know that Heather and myself and Mel, who you'll meet here too soon, um, we're trying to reference God's way. So what we want to do is present some things to you, talk about some of the ways of God as it relates to this, and then we're going to take time and just do Q&A. And just, don't, just know, none of us up here are the experts. And so if there's things we don't know, we'll just tell you where we are in that journey and, and um, let you know we don't know. Okay? So would you do me a favor and just stand with me and let's pray. Let's commit this time to the Lord. And then I'm going to have Heather come on up and join me. Um, and then Mel's going to join us here in a few minutes. So Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus, that indeed... I think of, uh, you know, this dates me, but it, it made an impact on me as a young man. There's an old song by the name uh, Andre Crouch used to sing, Jesus is the answer for the world today. And you still are. You still are. And Lord, we just would look to you, and we're going to look to you louder than we look to social media, everybody's opinions, where the trends are and the trajectories. That we're looking to you, our rock, our fortress, our deliverer our teacher. So Jesus, would you come and invade this room? Would you come and invade our hearts and our minds? Lord, we want to reflect what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in light of the world we're living in today. So we ask, Lord, for your presence and your leading Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Greet somebody as you sit down. You don't know that person. So I've got a little... Uh, presentation here is uh, that as we're talking through I'll try to remember to click the slides so that we can stay on some of the right slides some will just pause and be there so this is uh, Heather Zempel Heather and I have been friends for about 20 years now um, we met when we were both um, 
uh, at Belmont Church. She was attending there and, and working in the community. I was one of the pastors there. And then she moved on to Washington, D.C., served um, in the governmental arena for a while. And then the church that she was attending, they asked her to come and be the full-time discipleship pastor. So she serves at um, NCC in Washington, D.C. Some of you might be familiar with the name Mark Batterson. Um, Mark has written Circle Maker and a number of other wonderful books and is an excellent communicator and leader. And so Heather uh, is on that same staff and she oversees, has for years, small groups, discipleship, and now is venturing into some new categories as well. And um, so Heather in DC, of course, she lives this all the time. Hot topics, uh, maybe, how many of them today, <laughs> right? And so um, I've asked Heather just to join me in this. And we're, we just want to talk to you about um, how we might be able to, to walk again in the ways of God as godly people. And uh, so we want to submit some thoughts to you. And uh, Heather and I will just tag team here. And then we get to the Q&A part, I'm going to invite Mel up and I'll introduce Mel to you at that time. So Heather, you want to get us rolling? Yeah, I'll just kind of frame with this. I, I think the church should be the safest, most welcoming place for people to bring their questions. Because if we're not willing to do that, there's a whole line of people out in culture that would love to do that. And we, like, for a long time, the church has been really engaged in answering questions that no one is asking. Yeah. And I mean, some of that is because we, we need to do that, because we need to prompt some better questions in culture. But we also need to be a place where we welcome the questions that are coming, where we don't put an issue between us and another person, but we engage the person. And, um, and we just need to be a place where every question is welcome and where we welcome people. One of my favorite verses, and this was back when I was doing small group ministry and that was the focus of my work, Proverbs 14.4 became my like life verse. Um, at, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean or the stable is clean, but much increase of harvest comes from the strength of an ox. My interpretation of that when I was doing small groups was, your small group can be great as long as no one's in it. There's no mess. But the moment someone shows up, they bring in their baggage and their brokenness and dump it in your living room. That's what we're dealing with right now. If we're in the middle of the marketplace and we're in the middle of the chaos that Jesus has called us to, we're going to have mess. And so I don't think the question is, how do we get rid of the mess? But how do we walk through the mess in a way that actually causes all of us to grow, causes all of us to love Jesus more. Um, you know, Jesus didn't shy away from the mess. And, and, and Jesus, you know, I love how he took pot shots at Herod Antipas. He took pot shots at the Jewish aristocracy in Jerusalem uh, that was profiting off of Roman occupation. But when it came to like a tax collector in a tree or a Samaritan woman at a well or a woman caught in adultery, like he moved in, he leaned in Roman soldiers that wanted to be in his presence. He was quick to create a safe place for them to engage his presence. He would lean into their stories. He would move into the places where they already were to meet them there. He would give them purpose. He would invite them in to be a part of the story that he was writing. And that's the kind of posture that we need to take in these hot topics hard topics, whether that's related to race, to politics, to science, to gender, um, sexuality, uh, theological deconstruction that's going on with some of our young people in our churches. 
Like, let's just create a safe place for them to bring that where no question is off the table. One statistic that I think is important for us to keep in mind, when asked 18 to 35 year olds, 33% um, of them said that they didn't feel like there was um, someone who cared deeply about them. So let's just start there. Do we deeply care about the young people in particular that have been brought into our circles? Because if we can demonstrate care and concern and belief first and foremost, that's gonna amplify our voice in their ears. So um, that's just kind of a, a little bit of framing of, of how we kind of try to approach this in DC. And um, I've, I've been so influenced over the years uh, by Dave and his principles of referencing and rever reverencing God and referencing God in all we say and do. And so that's a definition of the fear of the Lord that's been very helpful to us. So what we're going to talk about today is uh, Dave's going to walk us through some of those reference points of the ways of God. And uh, I'll just add some color commentary along the way. Oh, a lot of color commentary. That's a lot of color, a lot of color commentary. <laughs> All right. So, so here's the first one that we have to, to look at is begin with a kingdom perspective. Like, you know, when we get into our democratisms and republicanisms, do we start with a kingdom perspective? We get into racial issues, do we start with a kingdom perspective? So Sean Holland, who uh, had, had been Mel's pastor for many years, and I met Mel at Sean's church. Sean's also on our board. He had to leave a little early because of a commitment he had today. And um, African-American man, we're, we're having a meal, this is about 10 years ago, and he looks at me, and only, as only Sean can with his little accents on things, he says, like, dude, as a white guy, would you ever follow my lead? Mm. And, I, and I looked at him and I just said, well, of course, like, why would I not? And then he just looked at me like he said, you did? And I said, like, why are you so surprised? He, because he said, I don't believe that to be true about white people. He said, I believe you mostly because I know you, but you're still white. So I'm not quite there yet, so we can laugh about it. You know? but, but I said, well, why would I not? And then that began a conversation, a decade-long conversation that we're still having. And, and I remember he said he only had a handful of white people in his church. And then over the years, I said, just start trusting the Lord for not just white folk, but Hispanic folk and Asian folk and Polynesian folk and whatever. And, and you know, that was a growth place. And his life was a growth place in our conversation. But I remember saying to him, Sean, we have to start with Jesus and his kingdom. And if we don't start there, if we start through your black history or my white history, we're going to run into walls. We have to start with the kingdom. And, and this will be one of our other points for later. But, but like we have to realize God made diversity, which means he likes it. <clears throat> he likes it. Like as a father in heaven, he delights in it. Not to mention that if he hadn't created this, like, had he not created our Mexican brothers and sisters, we would not know of this beautiful thing called guacamole. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I had some last night. It's like, thank Jesus for Mexicans, you know? And we have to realize between music and dress and food and, and we, we've got to remember that God is the one that created this. And, and we can get caught in our little you know, Asian, white, black, Hispanic, you know, whatever mindsets. And, and we need to say, okay, back up. I got to look at this through the lens of the kingdom of God. 
and realize that he likes this. Like, can you just take, take some time at some point and meditate on the fact that God likes it this way? And that every person that he has made, red, yellow, black, and white, he's made them very, very special, very unique. And, and so we have to begin with a kingdom perspective as we start these kind of conversations. And kingdom is the thing Jesus preached the most. When you look at the Gospels, he's saying the kingdom is near. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is like. He was preaching about the coming of the kingdom. Look around. Open your eyes. The kingdom is here. My fear is that too often we're most concerned with holding down the fort in our churches, holding our ground. And we see the culture as an enemy instead of saying, no, the kingdom is here. Like the kingdom is advancing. We need to get in the wake of what Jesus is doing yeah. and just calmly take the next steps in obedience to Jesus. Um, what did Jesus pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not just holding down the fort until the moment where the escape hatch allows us to escape earth and go to heaven. We are called to bring heaven to earth. Yeah. And in doing that, we are able to step into some of these places. Just is a is a, a brief um, kind of a uh, an example or a, a help maybe a best practice. At our church, we have a leadership covenant um, that we ask all of our leaders to sign. And a lot of that, like it addresses theology, it addresses lifestyle, and all of those kinds of things. But what it's really about is saying that we recognize as leaders in our local church that we are part of something bigger than ourselves, bigger than our preferences, bigger than our opinions, bigger than our experiences, and we're gonna be held accountable to that. And so we can create a space where hard conversations can happen, where you can disagree about something theologically, but at the end of the day, are you willing to say, you know what, I'm all in for something that's bigger than those questions. So that might just be a practical thing to consider doing uh, if you're in a, a church context. So here's the second principle. People are made in the image of God. Like this is a battle nobody should win more than people of faith, is that we recognize that people are made in the image of God. One of the things that I often like to do is I like to take a bottle like this and, and pretend that I could have this uh, Kirkland water bottle there the day that Jesus dies on the cross. And I take the lid off as his body is pulled, and I scrape as much of the original blood of Jesus off the cross into this thing, and I seal it, and here it is some 2,000 years later. And we talk about how much would this go for on the open market? Well, sooner or later, we would get to the understanding that it's priceless. And I'm not going to do this today because of time, but what I often do when I'm teaching on this is I'll take this bottle, and I'll walk around the room, and I'll hold it to everybody's head. And I'll say, because the blood of Jesus was shed for you, you are precious, you are priceless, and you are worthy of being treated valuable. And because this is true, because the blood of Jesus shed over people is true, we've got to realize that that person that just you just want to strangle right now <laughs> is made in the image of God. Yes. Which means God has a purpose for them. He loves them. He desires them, even though you don't and I don't. And we've got to get our heart around that thing. Heather, what do you want to add to that? I think just a reminder that the good news began with good news. Like in the beginning, God created and created in his image. 
And so every person that we bump into is an image bearer, first and foremost. Has the creation been tainted by sin? Absolutely. Is there depravity in our world? Absolutely. But the good news doesn't begin there. It begins with God's creation. And God created us in his image, blessed us. That was his first posture, first action towards us was blessing and sent us, said, you have a mission. Go and fill the earth and subdue it, lead it. Um, and so I think just remembering that the good news begins with good news. And also, I heard a quote recently, and I wish I could say who I, I need to be able to cite this, but all growth comes from disruptive exposure. So even as we're engaging, bumping into people who are not like us, recognizing that that disruptive exposure is going to result in growth for us. And so always being willing to ask the question, God, what are you teaching me? in this what has this person come to teach me so the good news begins with good news yeah that's awesome so the third thing here is the twin truths of humility and honor so when we deal with this topic oftentimes it revolves around love and forgiveness and we just give that to you that's true but for me when it when i'm put in reconciliation situations these are the two twin champions for me it's moving in humility which means I might not know. You'll, you'll see on this board from something we used yesterday, you see that little dot on there? So when I was 18 years old and a young missionary with Youth of the Mission, Lauren Cunningham was teaching us and he, he had a clear whiteboard like that and he took a pen and did just what I did there and he put a dot. And he said, so let's just pretend the whiteboard represents all the knowledge that humankind could ever have. And what you know is the size of that dot. Is there a chance you might not know? <laughs> Humility allows you to walk in that place and be able to say, I, I don't pretend to, I know it all. I certainly don't pretend to know what it means to walk in your shoes. Okay? Humility also means that I'm, I'm posturing myself as a learner. I'm going to learn in this situation. And honor, as we just said, has to do with because the blood of Jesus has been shed, because they're made in the image of God, you treat people valuably. And I, I promise you, when you walk in these twin truths, going into about any reconciliation situation, if you're willing to walk in humility and you're willing to walk in honoring them and who they are, it goes way different. Now, just so you know, because we're not getting into a lot of this today, but this, when what you're hearing from us is not this cover sin and all of that, you don't, no. We believe there are things that the Bible says is, are, are sin, they're sin. So just so you know, we believe that. We're talking in light of us all being fallen, broken people, that if we don't approach things with humility and honor, that sin tends to come out of our lives in the way we relate to people. So we're not poo-pooing sin. We're not kind of ignoring it. We're just saying, in the midst of a sinful world, how do we live? How do we live? Because there are sinful, angry, upset, want to take you out kind of people. How do we live in that world? And I promise you, if you approach things with humility and honor, God can use you in an incredible way, okay? And I, two words that for me go along with honor and humility are courage and curiosity. It takes tremendous courage to walk in humility and to walk in honor. Um, and I think that if we walk with an insatiable curiosity with people, it causes us to ask questions first. I think we have mistaken faith for certainty. 
we think that faith equals certainty, which if we really think about it, they're like that's like the opposite of, of faith in many ways. And I believe that the most important decisions in life should be the most informed decisions. Like I am, I am a student. I love to study and I love certainty. But at the end of the day, certainty and faith are not the same thing. And if we're willing to walk in, in humble courage and insatiable curiosity, it will put us in a posture with people where we can be heard but more importantly, we can hear them better. So our youth group, a few years ago, they were walking through some really difficult conversations, culturally, biblically, theologically, like really hard questions. And our youth group developed for what they called peacemaking principles. They said, as we go through this series together, these are the four things, uh, I call them rules of engagement. This is what we're going to do. We're going to create a safe place where you can ask anything. There is nothing off the table. There is nothing out of bounds. Whatever you want to ask, whether it's related to politics, race, science, your gender, sexuality, it, fill in the blank. What you don't like about what the book of Joshua says about genocide, all of it, ask anything. Number two, we're going to listen well. We're going to lean in very intentionally, not so our voices can be heard more loudly, but so we can understand what the other person is saying more clearly. We want to lean into the place where we can actually even make their point as well as they can. Number three, we're, we're going to give freedom to disagree. You can disagree freely. You, you can hear what we're saying and say, you know what, I have a different opinion about that, and that is okay. Now, again, I'm not saying that there aren't theological principles and biblical truth that we just say, oh, we're going to get squirrely on that. You can believe whatever you want to believe. It's not about that. It's about actually giving people the freedom to give voice to what they think. And then at the end of the day, we're going to love regardless. I'm not going to love you any differently because you have a different opinion about something. And our youth group led the way in walking in this kind of grace towards one another. We're going to ask anything. We're going to listen well. We're going to disagree freely. And we're going to love regardless. And one of the things that I've been trying to practice, especially on the ask anything, um, when I hear something, this is happening to all of us, by the way. We're all in an echo chamber. If you're on social media, social media knows what you want to hear, and they amplify that. So what happens when you hear something that is different from what everyone in your world is saying, you're, we often respond with one of two reactions. Either we think, well, that person is um, unenlightened, uninformed, stupid, like whatever, you know, or they're evil. <laughs> that, like, th those are our reactions. Yeah. And so one of the things I've been trying, and we're all, none of us are immune, we all do this. Like every now and then somebody else thinks that. I'm like, what in the world? Nobody thinks that. <laughs> well, nobody that my social media algorithm presents to me thinks that. Um, so I, the thing that helps me so much is the little phrase, help me understand. When I hear something that is crazy, or I hear something that like my, my theological construct says, no, that's off. If I just lean in and say, hey, help me understand, 
often what happens is they dig down to a root that's actually not about what was said at all. There's something deeper. There's a story there. There's a wound there. There's a pain there. And then I'm like, oh, okay. Let's, let's talk about that first. Let's close in prayer. All right. No. <laughs> <laughs> right? We got enough to apply here that we can just be done. Go eat. All right. So here's number four, aiming to win one's heart through relationship and conversation. And so this is a place for me where I, I find myself having to adjust in the middle of some conversations. And I, what I mean by winning one's heart is I don't mean convincing them to my position. That's right. I mean winning their heart relationally. Okay, that it's with me, that I can, I can win their heart. I've had this happen when I've been speaking before and then I'm in between a break and then someone will come up to me and just say, you know, what you just said there was out to lunch and, da, 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 and they were really critical to me. And I realized they kept sitting in the sessions. And so what I did is I just made a goal that before the end of the day, I'm going to win their heart. And so during that lunch that day, I purposely got my lunch and I went and sat next to them. And when they opened their phone, they had a football game on. And so I saw what their favorite team was. I'm a huge football guy. So we started talking and all of a sudden, guess what? By the end of lunch, I'd won his heart. He came up to me at the end of the day and said, I judged you wrongly. I need to ask you to forgive me. I didn't have to bring it up at all. I just decided, God, by your grace, would you let me win his heart? Okay, so we, we have to be able to aim to win people's heart. And that happens through relationship. What Heather just said about understanding through conversation. Like, like, do we understand because of the social media dynamic, a lot of our conversations these days are what I think and what I say. It's not what we hear. Mm -hmm. We have to become better listeners. Okay. Heather, you want to amplify that? Um, I don't know if I can amplify it, but I, I think one thing that's important for me to remember is that very, very few people fell in love with Jesus because they lost an argument. <laughs> <laughs> and and I because I am very like much a thinker and I'm very logical and if I am not careful one of the greatest areas of difficulty for me is finding that I'm trying to win an argument instead of trying to win the heart yeah. and um I also think that often stories, I mentioned this in the, in the previous um, session, but stories have a way sometimes of bypassing the logic to hit the heart. And so when we can tell stories of our own struggle or tell stories of people that have made profound life choices, like I, we have a, a video, uh, it's about four minutes long, of a small group at our church of Democrats and Republicans that work on Capitol Hill. And they come around the table together once a week to pray for one another, encourage one another, and do life, be like real friends with one another. Um, you know, when you, when you can tell a story about someone who would say, you know what, I, I'm attracted to the same sex, but I'm choosing to walk in celibacy because I believe that that is what honors God and what the biblical path prescribes for me. You can tell that story, that's going to have more potential to win a heart than to stand up and just give the arguments from a pulpit. One final quote just on this topic that is, is challenging to me. George Bernard Shaw said, 
that the biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it is actually taking place. <laughs> so as we think about these conversations we have, is it a conversation or is it just a monologue? So. Again, let's close in prayer. Right? <laughs> so a fifth one here that we've talked a little bit about um, already is heaven is diverse. Like, I don't know if you think, have thought much about this, but there may be more people in heaven right now than there are followers of Jesus on earth, just by duration, right? And, and if we were to look at that, we know that the Bible tells us that one day every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will stand before him. I, and I, I have some of those nations I'm looking forward to. Like, for example, um, so I, Cheryl and I spent seven years in Hawaii. We love the people of Hawaii. Yes, all the things you would like about Hawaii, but we love the, the people of Hawaii. And so you have, you know, um, Hawaiians and Tongans and Fijians, and, and then you've got the Samoans. And we used to have the Samoans um, live underneath our room at the YWAM base. And so Cheryl and I would go to bed at 9.30, 10.30 at night, and we're trying to sleep. And all we hear below is this. Have you heard of Samoans laugh? Like their laugh starts a party, right? And, and so, so put multiple of going on in a room, and Shell and I are just rolling our eyes and laughing. So the next day, Yeru comes up. Yeru's about four inches shorter than me and about double my width and muscle size. And he comes up and walks by the top level, and I said, hey, Yeru. And I was just teasing him. We were all like 23, 24. I said, dude, all night last night, <laughs> and he comes and picks me up and holds me over the balcony and looks at me and goes, <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to seeing the Samoans with their joy, their cheer, the, the, the Samoan fire dance they do come walking before the Lord. Mm. And we have to realize the diversity of people. And again, God delights in it. They're going to be in heaven with us. And I don't think God's trying to have us hold out till then to relate to them. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. Uh, I think it's just a reminder that the early church didn't have it any easier than we do. Like we think it's so hard how do we get people that disagree with one another in the same room? But like Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, when it was decided, you do not have to become Jewish culturally to be at the table, that was shaking everyone up. Yeah, That's what I'm, most of the New Testament writings yeah. are about Paul trying to tell people how to live in this new reality of the family of God. Yeah. 
How do you as a Jewish person welcome to the table a Roman soldier who is occupying your land and has the smell of pork on his breath? How do you as a Roman citizen invite these Jewish people who are weirdos to your culture who have these, like, they're basically <laughs> atheists because they only worship one God. They mutilate their body with circumcision. Like, how, how does that world come together? And in a lot of Paul's writings today, we read very with a theological lens over them. What is Paul teaching us about who God is and what he says that we should believe? I think Paul's original intent was more sociological yep. than theological. I'm not saying there's not theological truth we draw from it. I just think his primary purpose in writing in 1 Corinthians is how do you two groups get along? How do Jews and Gentiles come around the same table together in unity and community when they come from such different worlds? And, I mean, we could spend an entire track at this conference talking about the difference between those two worlds and how they created a new beloved community that defied all of culture's expectations for their time. Yeah, Paul's one new man, right? So again, I want you to be thinking about this. I want you to be approaching the scriptures, maybe through a secondary eye here, not just theologically, but relationally in what God was doing, okay? Sixth one, we got a couple more, and then Mel's going to join us. Walking in obedience to what God is revealing to you, all right? So is this something that you are swimming in these diverse streams without referencing God? Like, are you, are you seeking him in prayer? Are you seeking him in the word and saying, God, what is it you're asking of me? Where are you asking me to sacrifice? Where are you asking me to get involved? Where are you asking me to build relationships? And so without, without this piece of walking in obedience to what God's revealing to, to me or to you to do, we're, we're missing the whole point. Because this is where God wants us to live, and we need to be engaging. So this might be for you a seeking in prayer, and there might need to be some forgiveness from your heart extended. There might need to be some repentance on attitudes had. All right? There might need to be faith and courage stepping into something God's asking you to do, to be the reconciler, to be the peacemaker. Okay? So be thinking about that. And I, I think when it comes to obedience, one of the, this is kind of related to maybe some young adults or old adults that are walking through like a a season of deconstruction. What do we really believe about? Does God really require us to do? Is it okay to be a Christian and, you know, fill in the blank? Um, I'm always, I I try to give some guardrails to those conversations. And one is just, what is scripture saying about this? What are you learning from the scriptures in this? Um, Secondly is, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? The same spirit that inspired these words can illuminate them to us today. So are you allowing the Holy Spirit into the conversation that you're having about what you actually believe? A third thing that I I point to is just, um, man, how do you engage your community in this and how can we all grow as a result of these conversations? And then finally, just kind of what are your theological anchors? Like when people are walking through a season of, trying to determine what they believe and why, I'll ask them the question, what do you know that you know that you know is true about God? And then just start there. We don't have to fix it all. We don't have to answer it all immediately. Just know what you know that you know to be true about God and drop an anchor there 
And then we can continue to have this conversation and then determine what that means for our obedience. Heather, you also have the uh, helping people with decision points. Yeah, I think when, when people are trying to make a decision about, you know, maybe it's a life choice. Um, and some of these are very similar. Again, it's like you need to make your life choices in the context of community. I, like so many times a young person has come to me and said, well, I've decided this or I'm going to do that. I'm like, well, what have you have you processed that within the community of faith? Like, we, we are stronger, we are better together. So where is your community in this? Secondly, just prayer and the Holy Spirit. Have you, at, like, the way that Dave would say this is, have you waited on the Lord in that? Have you put that decision before the Lord in prayer? Do you still believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak into that place? And then again, scripture um, is, is very important in this. And then also just tradition and history. I think sometimes church history is, uh, we don't look to it, but it can give us, um, nothing new is under the, there's nothing new under the sun. So we can actually learn from those who have gone before us in some of these questions and in some of these pitfalls that we find. So this is a, this is a key one that our team tries to operate on. It's, it's called operating in the opposite spirit. This is kind of that portion out of Proverbs where it says a soft answer <clears throat> turns away wrath. So one of the things that we can get caught in is the spirit of what is going on. Mm -hmm. So if, if you're met with anger, have you ever noticed that real quickly? You start ratcheting up in anger. And, and so whatever it is, and you know, by the way, the holidays is a good time to practice this, okay? Because, because stuff starts ratcheting up. And so here's the reality. It's, catch, it's, it's being able to kind of, let's say we're all living here. It's being able to do this and pull above and go, okay, what's going on spiritually here? Catching it and then ministering in the opposite spirit. So if somebody's angry, answer them softly, gently. All right, and you know you can you can play this out in multiple ways. <clears throat> if someone's walking in fear, the Bible tells us the opposite of fear is love. Come around them and love when they're walking in fear. When so, so think about it. Sometimes there's come on man, suck it up, be brave, be and that's not the time. Come around them and love. All right. So one of the things I do when I get caught in a conflict, I I'm trying to live here where I need to, but I also kind of get up above here spiritually. Go, what's going on up here? So that I see spiritually what the enemy's trying to do. Because when you minister in the opposite spirit, it cuts his knees out from underneath him. Okay? So it's something that I think we just need to pay attention to when we're in the midst of this. Because you and I watch it on television all the time. You know, as we see stuff or online when we're watching our news. And you see two parties back and forth. And you can just, you watch, I mean, it'd be great to just analyze it. Go, now if the guy would have stopped here and operated in the opposite spirit, would have cut this whole thing. You know, we can see it. Anything you want to add on this? Just really quickly, I fail at this so much. Like, I'm up here under conviction right now. Um, but this is, I just want to say, like, this is warfare. Like, let's take the battle out of the context of another person and just do war on our own hearts. Because to, opposite, uh, to, to, to minister in the opposite spirit, to respond in the opposite spirit, I mean, it, that takes um, wrestling our own hearts to the ground and submitting them to the Lordship of Jesus. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just hard work. I mean, that's where literally sometimes praying on the armor of God in the morning yeah. before you go into a hard conversation yeah. is, is really important. Yeah, yeah. Let's just give you one more. Mel, why don't you come on up here and take a seat with us. Um, prayer can make the difference. Okay, and I think we all know this, but, but 
oftentimes, you know, we don't think about, okay, bringing this to prayer and even engaging in spiritual warfare kind of prayer over it, that the enemy's knees would be buckled. I, I often find coming out of my mouth these days when I have to engage the enemy in prayer is, in the name of Jesus, stand down. And just reminding them, you need to stand down because the King of Glory is about to come in here. And, and there's times that you have to win the battle first spiritually before you go execute it practically. Like this should motivate all of our prayer lives. Okay, I, am, I, am I laying foundations for my family, for my vocation, for the challenges before me before I go enter into it? And the Lord has reminded me over the years that I only have authority to speak into the things that I'm praying over. So let's shut our mouths until we first have prayed over it, because we really have no authority to speak into it if we haven't prayed over it. Okay, anyone chime in? Okay, let me introduce Mel. So I'm just going to put this slide up so we just have it up here. It's, this is one you can, you know, any of these you can take pictures of, but this is a, the summary slide. All right. So Mel Mills, I met Mill about 10 years ago uh, when I was visiting Sean's church, and I, I just found myself drawn to a young man who was hungry for Jesus. He was pursuing God, and he was really teachable. And so we began a relationship that, as a friendship, and yet Mel repeatedly allowed me to speak into his life. He's gone through a number of things with us with Lion's Share and what we do, and he now serves on our board. And Mel is a guy who has a heart for media. He has a heart for good relationships. He's written some very good things that are over time, but particularly now. He just did a great article that he asked, hey, would you read this? And he just put it out, was it early this week or last week? Last week. Last week. On his, he, he, and, he and I began to observe something together that another friend of mine had observed in that for some reason right now, a lot of spiritual leaders just feel like it's cool to cuss. And so Mel and I both were going like, yeah, what is that about? And so Mel wrote a beautiful extended article. It's not just a two-pager. It's about eight, nine pages. Yeah. Really thinking through biblically what does this look like, illustrating it. So, you know, if you want more on that, see Mel. He can tell you where to get that. So, so I've asked Mel to come and be a part of this conversation with us as well. And so what we want to do, we've got about 20 minutes left. And I want to just say to you, what questions do you want to ask? How, and, and again, you can ask anything. What we want to do is keep pointing you to these principles of how they may apply to some of the situations at hand. So as pastors, as leaders, as vocational leaders, what are questions that you have that you may be wrestling with or that the flock you're leading may be needing to know some things? How can we help you? So questions. And, and what I'm going to do is, hey, Jessica, can you help me with this? Is whoever asks the question, just step to the side, middle or over here so she can put the microphone yeah, at your face so that this is also on the recording, okay? First question, or are you hungry and you want to just go to lunch? <laughs> yeah, we have to close the prayer with. Questions? Yeah, right here. Uh, where does it come from that pastors it's cool to cuss? I don't, I don't understand that. I'll let Mel we respond. Don't okay. yeah, we, we actually frankly don't understand it either. That's why Mel wrote an article about it. I don't actually know where it it came from. It's actually been going on, at least to my understanding, uh, a year ago. Uh, I noticed that the conversation tended to arise around Christian artists using uh, profanity in mm -hmm. their songs. And I happened to chime in the conversation one day and I said, well, yeah, we know it's wrong and it's a sin. And it just kind of set off this, well, what do you mean it's a sin? Where is that in the Bible? And who says? 
and just started to kind of follow the conversation and happened to jump in another one by a Christian apologist a few weeks ago and kind of the same thing and people were very angry and upset with me and says well show me where that's in the Bible and 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 well, why is this a cuss word but duty isn't and just kind of all these things and so I began to uh, do some googling and to find out well what does uh, well what's out there about this and most of the articles and blogs and things of that nature addressed uh, language and profanity, but it did so from the perspective of a, a curse, as in like witchcraft or uh, insults. Uh, the Bible addresses that, but none of them actually dealt with you know well, where what, what makes a curse word a curse cuss word or curse word. And so I think the thing that was troubling most for me was that it. Uh, the under undercurrent of all of this was really just I, I want to live kind of how I want to live. I want permission to do this, and so uh, it's it's I've seen it in Christian circles, originating Christian circles with, with Christian leaders, and in posting the article, of course, I got some pushback and feedback. That's a surprise. Yeah, right. <laughs> and one of the. Uh, one of the pushbacks was that, uh, well, if we use this language, we'll be more relatable. Uh, we'll be more relatable. We'll bring more people into the church. And I said, no, that's not the ways of God. And I presented some counter arguments, but uh, it's it's originating in Christian circles. Yeah. And, you know, when Mel, when Mel and I were talking about it, you know, the way that I look at it is this. Just when you're talking to somebody who's trying to defend this as a, as a kingdom values, just say, okay, so let me just set you up here. Jesus is talking to his disciples. <laughs> Do you imagine him dropping F-bombs while he's doing the Sermon on the Mount? I don't think so. I don't think so. So it's, yeah, it's this little distraction thing out there. And, and I was telling Lori Fry, who's our artist gal back there, that, you know, I remember in the 90s living here in Nashville, and all of a sudden all the Christian executives thought it was cool to smoke little cigars. I'm going like, what is this? You need a smoker's lounge now? It's your you know, Christian music company, because we all need to smoke our little, it's, it's this faddish thing that is going around. So I, I appreciated that Mel just stepped up and addressed it and said, hey, this is what the Bible says about it. All right. What else? What other things you want to talk about? There's a swirl of topics that are pretty intense, and I get a lot of it, whether it's race or government, things like that. But who do you think are some of the higher, you know, as a percentage of areas that are hot topics? That what do you think are the <laughs> extremely hot topics these days? I mean, I think the ones that are surfacing, at least, and I'm I'm in D.C., so there's that dynamic, and then our church is relatively young, so there's that dynamic. I think the topics are a little bit different depending on where you are in the country. Mm -hmm. um, but the ones that we are addressing most often are related to race, related to politics, obviously, um, sexuality and gender, um, science and how does that either support or not support faith. Um, and then within the church, there's just a lot of deconstruction, like a lot of what do we really believe and why? Um, what do I believe about the Bible? What do I believe about God and, and those kinds of things? So I, that's, and, and then, you know, social media and the, the proper use of that, like how do we engage that in a godly way? That's less of a 
like a philosophical question. Well, it is a philosophical question, but it's it's more about how do we you know react in that. Do you have anything to add? Yeah, I would add one more to that. I, I'm not sure if it's it's a hot hot topic, but it is a topic, and that is uh, entertainment. Our entertainment choices. So someone recently asked me about an actor who professes Christ, but uh, she gets very uh, sexually explicit in her in her in her shows. And we were kind of discussing, well, you know, what is that about? And so I had to say or clarify, well, you know, there's a difference in what you, you know, for example, portray on screen versus what you real, uh, actually live out in real life. But if I'm having sex on camera, um, you know, like very, you know, skin to skin, kind of the whole nine, well, then I'm actually engaging in that. And so that does affect my witness. And so I've been having conversations about, you know, entertainment, and that includes uh, movie choices, TV choices, uh, music choices, kind of the whole bubble. And what should I be consuming? What should I be uh, abstaining from? And I've always been of the habit of we have to monitor our diets. You know, when we consume these things, they affect our spirit. And, you know, I'm 36, I just turned 36. But I remember a time where, you know, profanity, for example, was little on very uh, or, or basic cable TV and anything like sex was, you know, it, it wasn't there. Right. And now you'll have on regular cable TV, you'll have pretty much um, full sex scenes without the body parts showing and, you know, yeah, without the intimate body parts showing. And that's that's a lot. To absorb and so I've been seeing a lot of that about well, what we should be consuming and not consuming and why it matters and of course varying opinions on it and I've, I've gotten in hot water for that because I'm like well you know you can't just consume this raunchy stuff and then wonder why you're struggling with lust or these thoughts are coming exactly. I mean it's a direct uh, it's a direct consequence of, of the, the media diet that you're consuming and so that's one that that's really good encountering. so that and, and Heather maybe you'll remember I forget I always the person I hear it is Mansfield but I don't remember who the original quote is from but if you've not heard this quote before you become what you behold mm -hmm. and, and we have to realize that so when my kids were growing up I would teach them about the eye gate and the ear gate mm -hmm. And this is another way of expressing the, you know, how, what diet you let in. Like, what are you letting into your eye gate and your ear gate? Because it gets in there. And, and we have to just, we have to be on more alert than ever. Because the enemy is trying to take advantage of a lot of these things. And so I think when you're dealing with these kinds of issues, you have to, you have to go like Mel pointed us to, to the fruit of it in your life. What is the fruit of it in your life for taking in song lyrics? that have nothing to do with anything godly like what does that do to you and you know it's a, it's a wonderful thing isn't it that we can we can hum we can sing and the words just get in us you know we might even like a tune and not care for the words of the song but but they they go together don't they so we have to be able to say okay what am i allowing in my ear gate that's going into my mind and registers there because you guys know this i think you know the bible doesn't teach us anywhere that the enemy knows your thoughts but he's been around a long time, so he knows humankind. So he knows, you know, as the enemies, you know, the demonic is kind of however they do it, and observing and seeing things, they know, okay, let me load them up with this. Yeah. So they know how to fire strategic arrows. So the less room we give the enemy for that, mm -hmm. then the less this, this stuff, you know, sticks on us. 
So the Bible says we're supposed to walk rightly before the Lord. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Mm -hmm. So that's a question I ask is, does this provide you? Does this encourage you to walk with clean hands and a pure heart? And if it doesn't, then you just need to exit stage left. Okay. Yes, sir. Hey, can you? Thank you. Thanks for addressing that topic. Um, I don't think it gets addressed enough. And just another topic that I, I think it should be a hot topic that we're not seeing to be talking about in the church. And that's the topic of greed mm. and mm. lack of generosity mm. and consumption. Yeah. And I just wonder from you guys' perspective as you're in, in it culturally, why are we not talking about it? And I wonder if we are um, reaping some of what we've been sowing mm. because we have not stood up against that kind of consumption. Mm. Um, because we talk a lot about not being consumers when it comes to church, but yeah, I don't see our lifestyles as believers being yeah. much different. Yeah. So I just wonder where that fits as far as topics that we need to be addressing at a discipleship conference. That is awesome. Who wants to start? <laughs> um, <laughs> greed and generosity. I think it starts with modeling it modeling it. Humility, being generous, being giving, being caring, being kind. Um, I often think about, I know I've had conversations about this uh, wanting it my way culture and how that has creeped into every everything. You know, so you, you get a phone, you get a car, everything kind of tailors to you. And that's nice in one sense uh, that the technology is able to do that for us. But everything in life, you know, can't revolve around you. And when we find that, you know, creeping into things, you know, like like church, not saying that um, we can't be sensitive and aware to uh, meeting people when they where they are, but it can, can create this kind of thing where if it's not the way I want it, not when I want it, not how I want it, just reject negative and nothing nice to say. And so I think I've taken a personal approach to try to model to, um, like I don't want to be someone that just you know complains about everything, you know even if it may not be the, the way I want or how I want to just model of the present a model of just appreciation of of of, of this constant state of having to uh, remind myself of things to be grateful for gratitude. Grateful for this, grateful for that, grateful for this, grateful for that, because um, gratitude creates room for more. And if we can model an uh, attitude of gratitude, then I think that that ministers in the opposite spirit of, of greed. Can I just jump on that, Heather, if you've got something? Yeah, one day as I was dealing with this whole area, I was speaking to a group of 20s and 30-something missionaries, and just in the middle of the session, as we were talking about this, the Lord just kind of dropped him. He said, the opposite of entitlement is gratitude. Mm -hmm. And that, that was just kind of like one of those, you know, I shared it and I went, I better go write that down, you know, because it was just, it wasn't a thought for me, but it was just that reality that the opposite spirit of entitlement is gratitude. And here's how, here's where I go on that, you guys, in my own life. There is nothing that Dave Buring deserves except to spend an eternity away from God in a place called hell, period. But because of what Jesus has done for me, I don't have to worry about that anymore. 
which means when I wake up in the morning and my wife's head is on the pillow there, I can overflow in gratitude. Thank you, Lord, she's here. That when I wake up in the morning and go, thank you that my lungs work today, and you cultivate this attitude because there's nothing you deserve. Yeah. Guys, we gotta blow up this whole concept of we, we deserve anything. See, that, that's going to the cross. That's the lordship of Jesus. Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head, it tells us. Mm -hmm. Like a normal home that he could just always, so, so we don't fully know how that all worked for him, but it says he didn't have his own place to lay his head. And so, you guys, it's, so I, I often do a series on relinquishing rights. And it goes from everything to possessions and finances to our reputations and positions. And, and it, it includes all that we have. So let me just make this statement and see if Heather's got anything for us on this, is this. One of the things I've learned over the years is whatever rights you don't relinquish, so think of grasping, and there's remember Jesus didn't grasp onto God in Philippians 2, but he relinquished, all right? Whatever rights you don't relinquish drive you. If you're single and you haven't relinquished your rights to being married, every guy, girl, you know, are they the one? They could, they love Jesus. They could be the one. And we're, and we're driven through this grid. Okay, if we haven't relinquished the rights to whatever, fill in the blank, it will drive you. And it's actually one of the ways I find out, I, even though I relinquished it, you bump back into it again, you, whoa, I picked that baby back up. Okay, so when you, when you are having a pity party about something, is it really about God pointing you to relinquishing your right? If you're angry about something, was it because you thought that was your right? It's God reminding you this, it's not this. Mm -hmm. It's this. Just a comment and then a practical idea. So joy is not getting what you want. It's being grateful for what you have. And so one practical idea that I do in my life, this is a daily discipline. First thing I do when I get up in the morning, well, not the very first thing, but one of the first things is I'll open my journal and write down at least three things I'm grateful for because that's going to frame the rest of my day. Yeah. And sometimes, like this morning, it was a little bit silly. Like, it doesn't sound like it's even that important. It was like, I was thankful for Biscuit Love. If you haven't been to Biscuit Love in, in, in Franklin. Shout to the Lord. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's, it's deeper than that. It's being grateful for a good report that my parents heard from their doctor, you know. But being grateful for what you have. So keep a gratitude journal and encourage the people you disciple to keep a gratitude journal. Ahead. Yeah, and another a, a principle that I, I live by um, is that it's 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 not mine to have; it's mine to steward. Yes. Yeah. And mm -hmm. mine, the it is anything. Um, I invest in in stocks, and one of the things before I did that, um, I, I realized I needed to master personal finance, because you can't hit a home run until you touch first base. But I had to realize that. All of it was about stewardship and not just my money, but anything that comes into my possession, my body, my house, my car, it's not mine to have, it's mine to steward. And so I take that approach with, uh, with the job, with, with anything, and that helps me to stay grounded when I feel uh, greed, when I feel ungrateful that, hey, I'm going to have to give an account for everything that God put into my hands. And if I have not stewarded well, I'm, I'm going to have to give an account for that. And so I remember that that it's not mine to have, it's mine to steward. 
And, and I just think as you're dealing with the greed issue, I mean, you and I would know it's generosity, it's discipling people in generosity, but people that I walk with of means, it's one of the areas that they get pressed in on the Lordship of Jesus more than I do, you know? And, but it's, it's helping them say, like, like there's a, a friend of mine in Washington, D.C. who's a very wealthy business owner, and she came to me one day and she said, Dave, I get frustrated because I'm sitting in a room with somebody who's, who's a little bit, they're not poor, but their income's not like mine, and every time they say something, I feel guilty that I have to give to them. I, and so she said, every time I do it. So I, I looked at her and I just said, Pam, can I just ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, do you ever ask the Lord about it? And it was like, ding, 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 ding. And she went, no, I didn't know. I, do you think the Lord might be interested in where that person is and where you, yes. Do you think the Lord can lead? Yes. So now in her giving, she always asks. She's always asking the Lord. Okay, God, is this? Because I said, then if the Lord says, no, not this time, you're walking in obedience. You don't have to go default to guilt because I didn't contribute. So I think there are some principles there, but the, the whole attitude of greed, it's ugly, isn't it? It's just ugly. It's not of God. And, and I couldn't agree more with Mel. Everything I have is mine to steward. So I, so I live life like this. It's not this. It's this. God, I, I'm going to steward it. And there's times in my life that he says, okay, now I want you to pass that on to somebody else. Mm -hmm. That And that's not just money and finances. That's roles. Yeah. That's roles in life. Like, hey, I, I'm grabbing onto this role because I love to be the senior pastor or the president of the company, and I don't know my identity without it. <laughs> Jesus said, would you just let it go? Yeah. Just let it go. Okay. So, hey, it's time for lunch. That's a fast stop. All right. So if you're not familiar with some of our lion chair materials, hop out here. Let me just give you one gift. Some of you have been with us all four sessions, but if you don't know about this, there's a gift we want to give you, and we just have put it up. And uh, if, you, if you go to your app store and you type in lion chair, and you probably have put leadership group. That's kind of our full name, lion chair leadership. There's an app there that you can download. And it contains 366 two-minute daily um, daily uh, devotionals on the character of God. So if you went through the whole thing in a year, you would hit 101 attributes of God's character three to four days each. So one of the things I've learned in 49 years of following Jesus is the image of God that you carry around in your heart and mind affects the way you live your daily life. And if we don't take care of that thing first, a lot of stuff we don't have Velcro for. So this, if you have people in your flock, if you need this, I just want to encourage you, you can watch it, you can listen to it, but it'll allow you over the span of a year to renew your mind from Scripture about what God is really like. Okay, so that's a, just a gift we want to give you. You can find it there on the App Store, okay? Just before we dismiss you, if some of you want to know more what we're doing, we've invited the other three classes. They're going to pick up their lunch here in the atrium and just come on back here. And so at about 12, 15, 12, 20, we're just going to have a little conversation. Because some of you said have said to me, what do you guys do with Lion's Share? Because we know you shape churches, you're involved in the vocations, and we're going to tell you about some exciting things of how we can start helping the 40 to 70-year-olds be deliberate in discipling 20 and 30-somethings. Because without that, we're in trouble. All right? Thank you for hanging with us today. Blessings. Awesome stuff from Lion Share. I hope that you enjoyed that. And I'm sure you either wrote stuff down that really stood out to you, or you're going to want to listen back to that again. 
A few things that stood out to me was, I think Heather said, very few people fell in love with Jesus because they lost an argument. Wow, that's so good. Especially as we learn more and more about the Lord, it's easy to feel kind of like on the defense about seeking out a fight. And I love how Dave said, I don't think God is wanting us to hold out till heaven to relate to our brothers and sisters from different races. And one quote at the very end was, whatever rights you don't relinquish, they drive you. Wow. Really hit me in the heart there. So good. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Heather and Sean for giving us an awesome message. Hey, if you haven't hit subscribe on the podcast channel, I would encourage you to do so now and also to mark your calendars for October 5th and 6th because our forum is coming back to Nashville and it's going to be a great time. We have tons of speakers and track sessions and I'll be able to lead you guys in worship again this year. So it's going to be fantastic. All right. Thanks again for listening to this podcast, and I hope to catch you in the next episode. See ya.